We're in Romans chapter 5 tonight, again, continuing on in our study of Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. I'm going to read this section to you. We will next week finish up this section and move into chapter 6, but we won't get into chapter 6 tonight. Next week, we'll pick up at the very end of it and move into chapter 6. But for tonight, we're going to stay in these verses. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, if you're with us, we left off last week in the middle of studying the three different types of deaths described in the Bible. The first death that the Bible describes is spiritual death. And we've seen here, uh, it says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so spiritual death is the condition we're all born in because of Adam's sin being automatically passed on to all of us. And we dealt with Psalm 51 verse 5 where David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. We talked about Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, where the scripture talks about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins and the way we're used to walk in, in that way. So spiritual death is the condition we're all in from the moment we've been born, from actually not just the moment we're born, from the moment we're conceived, we have Adam's sin passed on to all of us. If you remember back in Genesis, we looked at this last week, God told Adam, in the day you eat of that tree, you will die. But then in chapter 3, he goes on. Chapter 2, he says that. In chapter 3, he goes on and says, now another consequence of your eating of this tree is that you're going to also die physically and go back to the dust of the earth. Adam was alive spiritually before he sinned. But when he sinned, he died that day. The day he ate of that tree, he died, was separated from God. And now... There was a consequence also of physical death. That's the second one. The first death the Bible talks about is spiritual death. Because of Adam, we're all born that way. Physical death is another consequence of Adam's sin that's awaiting all of us who are of the human race. Unless, of course, we're going to be raptured, which is going to be cool if we're alive when that happens. You know, Hebrews 9, 27, it says it's appointed for man once to die and then after that to face the judgment. And we've all heard about there's nothing certain in life except what? Death and taxes, you know, kind of a deal. So spiritual death is the condition we all have from the moment we are conceived, passed on from Adam. Physical death will be a consequence of that that's going to happen to all of us. That there's the third death. The Bible calls it the second death, but it's also eternal death. Now, let me say this before I explain the eternal death. This one's avoidable. The first two are unavoidable, really. The first one, you're born that way. The second one, unless we're raptured, it's going to happen to you, okay? That's the consequences of sin. But the second death, or what is called eternal death, is actually a death for all those who reject God's offer of the free gift of righteousness and life through faith in Jesus Christ and his life uh, and, and, and his sacrifice for us on our behalf. Go to Revelation chapter 20. Go to Revelation chapter 20. Look at verses 11 through 15. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 and following, John says, Then I saw a great white throne in him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. 
Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to, of each one of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So we have the opportunity between our physical birth and our physical death to experience what the Bible calls the free gift of eternal life. And if we experience that free gift of eternal life, even if we die physically, we will never die again spiritually because we have been united with God through faith in Christ. This second death or this eternal death is for all those who reject God's offer to have the eternal life through faith in Jesus. And they're all going to face the great white throne judgment one day. And everyone's going to be judged according to what they've done. And then on top of that, they've added the worst sin by rejecting God's free gift that his son paid for on the cross for their sins. And they're going to go to an eternity of suffering. And that is, the Bible calls, the second death. Now, listen closely, though. All those who receive by faith God's offer of righteousness and life through Jesus Christ before they physically die will be given eternal life as they will be made spiritually alive and guaranteed entrance into God's holy presence, even if you physically die. This is why the Bible describes believers' physical death as sleep. You ever heard that, seen that term in the Bible? It talks about believers who are sleeping. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me give you some encouraging words. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 13 through 18. First Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13. Paul says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For, if, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord, and therefore encourage one another with these words. So here the Bible is describing the rapture. Jesus said in John 14, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you be where I am. He gave us a picture that he's going to come and take us to be with him in the presence of God. We're going to be not here during that time of the tribulation on the period, uh, the seven year period on the earth. And we're going to then come back with him when he comes to rule and reign on the earth. But look at what it says. At the time of the rapture, we're not to be grieving right now about those loved ones who are believers who have fallen asleep. Because who is Jesus going to bring with him when he comes to rapture those of us who are still alive on the earth? Those who have gone to be with him. Look at what it says again right there. Look at verse uh, 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. They're already in the presence of God. When, they, when a believer dies physically, remember, they've been given eternal life. Your eternal life does not begin when you go to heaven. Your eternal life began the moment you got saved. You have at that moment passed from death to life. I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures that show this tonight. But when we're saved through faith in Jesus, we enter into that eternal life at that moment. And even though our bodies may stop working, we do not stop living. We go right on into the presence of the Lord. Go to Luke chapter 23. I'm going to just kind of bomb you with scriptures today that deal with some things that people have questions about. Over the years when I've done funerals, I've, a lot of times I've brought a glove with me to illustrate what happens when a believer dies. And I'll take a glove and just put the glove on the pulpit area and I'll just show them how it's lifeless. But I'll take the glove and I'll put my hand inside the glove and the glove comes alive. You all know it's not the glove that's alive. It's what's been put into it. And the Bible back in the book of Genesis says that when God created Adam out of the dust of the ground, he breathed life into him and he became a living being. 
Actually, the Hebrew is the nefesh kayah, all right? The, the breath of life was put into Adam. His body was made out of the dust of the ground, but it didn't come to life until God put his spirit within him and gave him a soul. Now, when we trust Christ as our Savior, we then, the real us, the spirit and soul, don't die ever again. Or our bodies will, and we leave our body, and the body goes, the glove would go back to the dust of the earth. But the real us is still alive. That's why Jesus could make this promise. Look at Luke 23, verses 39 through 43. And Luke 23, verse 39, one of the criminals, Jesus is on the cross right now with a couple other criminals. One of the criminals who were, hang, who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of con condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Isn't that cool? He says, you're going to die physically, but because of your faith, you're going to be with me today in the presence of God in paradise. By the way, a very interesting little thing a lot of people don't realize. A lot of people think that there was a good thief and a bad thief. No, if you look at Matthew's account, they both were making fun of him at the beginning of the crucifixion. They both were mocking him. But during that time on the cross, one of them changes his mind. The spirit of God opened his eyes and he believed and he turned to Jesus and he said, remember me when you go into your kingdom. I really believe you haven't sinned. I really believe you've done nothing wrong, that you're actually being punished for no reason. And Jesus said, that's all I look for. That's all I look for. Because of that, you'll be with me today in paradise. Go to Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 26. Paul sitting in prison. And look at what he writes here. He says in verse 19, he says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I can't tell you right now. I'm struggling with it. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary in your account. And convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you for with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So listen to what he says. He says, I'm sitting here in prison and right now I don't know how this is going to work out, whether I'm going to live or die. And to be honest with you, I'm torn. Because if I live, I stay in the body and I get more reward later on for the work he's going to do through me. But if I die, I get to go be with who? With Christ. He said, huh? I go right into the presence of the Lord. We all know that passage, absent from the body is present with the Lord. By the way, a lot of you have looked for that verse over the years in your Bibles and couldn't find it. Because the actual wording, absent from the body, present with the Lord, is only in the King James. It's not worded that way in other translations. Go to 2 Corinthians 5. Let me show you how it's worded there. Go to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 8. Second Corinthians five verses one through eight, he says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, talking about our bodies, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked for while we're still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we'd be unclothed, but that we would further be further clothed so that we would, what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we're of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For while we walk by faith, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's that verse that we all quote in the King James. So look at what he says. He says, we're in this tense that we've been given, these temporary structures and we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Can we not say amen to that? And the longer we live in this life and the older we get and the more our bodies stop working the way they should as we get older, 
we understand it more and more and more. And the groaning isn't just getting down and up and down out of a chair. It's actually also wanting to go get out of these bodies and go be with Jesus. And that's what Paul said. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Go to John chapter 8. Look at verses 48 through 59. <clears throat> John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. Now the Jews answered him, and they said, Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I don't seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, the Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. And yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So here. Jesus is saying to them, if anyone believes in me, he will never experience death. Or you may physically die, but you've been given eternal life and you go right into the presence of the Lord. The moment you stop breathing in this life, you start breathing a whole new way in the next life. I've shared this with you in times past. I think birth of a baby is a wonderful example of that. If you were to go talk to a baby in the womb and you say to that baby in the womb, hey, um, there's another world out there. It's bigger and more beautiful than you ever could imagine. It's so expansive and I can't even describe it to you. I couldn't use words that you would understand, but it, you're about to leave this world and go into one that's greater by far. That baby would say, I'm good. I'm warm. I'm fed. This is what I know. Yes, the longer I'm here, the more uncomfortable it gets. Sound familiar? But when that baby passes from the womb to the to the world does it die no it cries but it goes it actually starts breathing in a whole new way it starts breathing in a whole new way and that's what's going to happen to you and i who have been given eternal life oh those who die apart from christ still in their sin they go to a place of holding where they're still awake and alive but they're going to be brought from that place of Hades to the great white throne judgment. And they're going to be judged for everything they've ever done because they've rejected God's payment for their sin. So they've decided I'll pay for it myself. And on top of that, their name's not in the book, which means they rejected God's only, only way that they could be made right. And they've rejected the death of his son. And they've added that to their list. And then they're thrown alive into the lake of fire, which is the second death or the eternal death or the third one we've been looking at. And Jesus actually says about Abraham, he rejoiced the thought of my seeing my day and he saw it and was glad. They said, hang on for a second. You act like you've seen Abraham. You're not even 50 years old. Abraham died hundreds of years ago. How could you see him say you see? But don't miss that. Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing his day and Abraham saw it. That means Abraham's still alive. And alert and not oblivious to what's going on. Go to Mark chapter 12. Let me go to, go to Mark chapter 12 and look at verses 24 through 27. <clears throat> now, before I go there, let me also remind you when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and his glory shone through, who appeared there with him? Moses and Elijah, and they weren't yawning. They were actually not only awake and alert, 
One of the gospel accounts, I think as Luke says, they were talking with Jesus about what must soon take place in Jerusalem. They knew what was going on. Folks, you will never die. Listen closely. If you believe in Jesus, you will move into the presence of God. If you actually have rejected Jesus, you will stay, if you want to call it alive, you will live for eternity. But it's not eternal life. It's an eternal death. It's an eternal separation from God. In Mark chapter 12, look at verses 24 through 27. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you're wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush? How God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Listen to what Jesus points out as he's dealing with these people trying to trip him up over. Well, this guy, he had so many different wives. Whose will she be in the, in the resurrection? Because they didn't believe in a resurrection. And he says, hang on for a second. First of all, you don't know the scriptures, nor the power of God. That's why you're in error. And let me just say this to you. When God spoke to Moses hundreds of years after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he said, I am the God of Abraham, God of Jacob, Isaac, and God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. Folks, I cannot stress this to you enough. When you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't need to fear death anymore. You have passed from death to life. You've been made alive spiritually. Oh, you may die physically, but Jesus will walk you through that process because you'll go right into his presence. And then on that day when he comes to rapture the church, if we're alive at that time, we who are alive, Paul talked about, He's going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. And we who are alive are going to be caught up and go be with him and go spend some time with him until he comes back to rule and reign on the earth. We actually, of all people, should be the least fearful of COVID, the least fearful of all this stuff that's going on. Because if we know the Lord, he's in control of our life. Let me ask you a question. Didn't Jesus say, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Yet how many Christians have been fearful? Now, I'm not saying go around and kiss everybody on the mouth in the public, public uh, you know, transportation system. But at the same time, if we're honest, the Bible really does say the day of our birth and the day of our death has been determined. And God's in control of all that. And he's given us the spirit of not fear, but of power and love sound mind he wants us to trust him and to live in obedience to what he has for us to do and to live the life he has for us and you will pass from this life to the next without really experiencing that physical death now we touched on this at the end of last week's study but ran out of time we must have god make us alive spiritually though so we can be spared this second or eternal death and have no fear of our physical death. It has to be something that God gives to us. Not something I just really believe in. No, it's something he does to us spiritually. Go to John chapter 5 real quick. We're in the Gospel of Mark. Jump over to, chapter, to John 5. Look at verses 21 through 24. John 5 verse 21. He said, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Now whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. He has passed from death to life. At the moment you trust Christ as your Savior and he seals you with his spirit and comes to live within you, you have eternal life at that moment. You've passed from death to life. We're going to talk more about it when we get into chapter 6, 7, and 8 because we're going to learn how to live out this spiritual life that we have a lot more than we do. But go to John chapter 11 and maybe what Jesus told Martha makes a little bit more sense now. John chapter 11 verses 25 through 27. Jesus said to Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me 
shall never die. Do you believe this? She has said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who's coming into the world. Look at what he said. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, will live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. He's talking about spiritual death and physical death. Even though you may physically die, you're going to live because you've been given, you passed from death to life. Folks, eternal life is not eternal life if you can lose it or if you'll be separated from God ever again. That's not eternal life. You've been given eternal life. It's yours. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. We referenced this verse, uh, some of these verses earlier. Look at verses 1 through 9. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world and following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of, of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurably riches, so the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We were dead. We were born that way. It was just passed on to us from Adam. We had no say in the matter. It was the way it was from the moment we were conceived. Yet God, who is rich in mercy, and because of his love for us, made us alive with Jesus Christ through our faith in what he has done for us. And he's already seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And again, we'll deal with that more when we get into chapter 6, 7, and 8. But you have made, been made alive. It's by the grace of God. Go to Revelation chapter 20. Look at verses 4 through 6. We've already read Revelation 20 verses 11 and following about the great white throne judgment. But just prior to that in Revelation 20 and verses 4 through 6, listen to what it says there. This is at the end of the uh, thousand years. Uh, uh, sorry, they were at the beginning of the thousand years of the millennial reign. It says, then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image or had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. Those are the Christians that got saved during the tribulation. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, the rest of the dead, the wicked, did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection talking about those who came to life and reigned with Christ. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they'll reign with him for a thousand years. So look at what he says. At the end of the tribulation period, we're going to come back with Jesus. The saints who became believers during the tribulation period, those who have been beheaded for their faith or those who had not taken the mark, they're going to come to life at that time and reign with Christ. The rest of the dead... We read about them in chapter 20, verses 11 and following. They don't come back to life or into the presence of God again until the thousand years are over. But the first resurrection is for all of us who have been given righteousness through Jesus Christ. And they won't be touched by eternal death or the second death. Actually, back in Revelation chapter 2, verse 11, Jesus made that promise to the churches. Revelation chapter 2, look at verse 11. Talking to the church in Smyrna, he makes this promise, but it's also promised to all the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by what? The second death. Folks, if you are in Christ, you may die physically, but you're never going to die again. You've been made alive through faith in Jesus Christ. You've passed from death to life. It's now a matter of living out that power. We'll get into that more later on in the next few weeks of our study. Now, the truths from Scripture that we've just dealt with always bring a question to mind in many people, especially those who have had children die young or have had miscarriages. And I'm going to spend the rest of our time tonight dealing with that 
because the Bible does answer that question. Let's, let's lay this out. If we are sinners from conception because of Adam's sin and death being passed on to all of us so that we're all born spiritually dead and we have to make a choice between our birth and our death to be able to receive this free gift of eternal life, what about children who never had the chance to put their faith in Jesus? Now, again, you know who I am. And if not, let me introduce myself to you. I am only going to teach you what the Bible says. We all want to just believe something that the, what makes us feel good. I actually want to believe what the Bible says. And I have good news for you. The thing you want is what the Bible says. But I don't want you believing it because, well, it just makes me feel better to think that my baby's in heaven. No, I want you to be rooted and grounded in the truth, not in your hopes or your wishes. And as we spend the rest of the time tonight dealing with this, I want you to get your pen and your paper out. <clears throat> you may be surprised how much the Bible talks about those who were miscarried. They were conceived, but they never made it to, to full birth, if you will or infants that die early, the Bible actually answers that question. And so that's what I want to deal with tonight. Let's start with the one that we've all heard used. And it's good, but there's better ones. But we'll start there. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 13 through 23. Now, to be honest with you, if you don't know, this story has come about because David has lusted after a woman that wasn't his wife. He actually uh, committed adultery. She got pregnant. And then he tries to cover up his sin. And he tries to cover it up because there wasn't a Maury Povich show where they did DNA testing. And so what he did was he tried to get the husband to come back from the war and to go sleep with his wife. Well, he was a, pro a man who was a principled man. And he, he just didn't feel right doing that while the rest of the guys were out at war. And so he didn't go home. He stayed outside the king's palace. So David decides, well, I'll get him drunk and he'll stumble home, sleep with his wife. She'll end up pregnant and no one will be the wiser. Well, the guy gets drunk and he still doesn't go. So that David goes and has him killed, actually has him carry his own death certificate, death sentence back to Joab. And they were to all go to the hardest part of the battle and everybody back up and let him be killed. The child's born. God comes to David. This Holy Spirit through the prophet Nathan convicts David of his sin and David begins to repent. And God says to him, there's going to be consequences now, though. Listen to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 13 through 23. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and he became sick. David, therefore, sought God on behalf of the child and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him and he didn't listen to us. How then can we say to him, the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, he's dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went into his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what is this thing that you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me and the child may live. But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. David says, I'll see him again. I'll see him again. Remember our earlier part, though, of our Romans study when we looked at to the Jew first? Remember we looked at in chapter one to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We looked at it later on in chapter two and so on and chapter three. 
Do you remember what that was tied to? It wasn't that God loved the Jews more than the Gentiles. It was that they were going to be held in higher accountability because they had more light revealed to them, remember? And the Bible teaches very clearly that all of us will be judged, and I'm going to lay this out for you and show you from the Scriptures tonight. All of us, even infants, will be judged in accordance with how much they had revealed to them. That's the measure God uses. Everyone will be judged in accordance with how much light they receive. All through Scripture, though, we also see God's attitude and love for children, attitude towards and love for children. Go to Matthew 19. We're going to look at the exact same story recorded in Matthew and then in Luke and then in Mark. And you're going to see in all three accounts, each gospel account brings out something else. Go to Matthew 19. Look at verses 13 through 15. Starting in Matthew 19, starting in verse 13. The children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. So what all we know now is that Jesus has a heart for little children. Correct? Yes, he does. He has a love for them. Go to Luke's account, though. You're going to see something else that Luke brings out about this passage. Go to Luke 18. I want to see if anybody catches what Luke brings out. Look at Luke 18, verses 15 through 17. It says, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What does Luke bring out? They were bringing not just children. They were bringing what? Infants. The actual word is like a babe you carry in the arm who can't even walk. They weren't just bringing children to him. They're bringing newborns to him. Oh, go to Mark chapter 10. Mark brings out something that the other two gospel accounts don't bring out. Look at Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. I'm going to see if some of you catch what's been added here. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. What did Mark add? He held them and he blessed them. He actually blessed them. Oh, but there's more. There's so much more. Let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 19. In Jeremiah 19, we're looking at verses 1 through 5. I want you to see that God in his being very harsh with the nation of Israel because of their wickedness. And by the way, to set the stage so you know what we're going to deal with, Jeremiah 19, 1 through 5. He's going to be telling them of the judgment that's coming on them because they were sacrificing their children to the Baals and Molech. They were actually sacrificing their children to these false gods. Listen to Jeremiah 19, verses 1 through 5. Thus says the Lord, go buy a potter's earthenware flask and take some of the elders of the people, some of the elders of the priests, and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom at the entry of the potsherd gate and proclaim there the words that I tell you. You shall say, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Behold, I am bringing such disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known. And because they have filled this place with the blood of what? Innocence and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it come into my mind. Here God says they weren't just burning their children, they were burning innocence. God saw these children as innocent. But Jim, we're all guilty. Yes, that's correct. Doesn't change that doctrine at all. And by the way, your salvation, did you earn it or is it a gift? 
And he gives life, the scripture says, to whom he will. And the Bible actually says that it's tied to how much he's revealed to us and how much he's revealed to us will be he'll use that as the measurement for how much judgment there's going to be. And as you're about to see from the scriptures, there comes a time when God opens our eyes to the truth of our sin and guilt. And everyone who has had their eyes opened in the same measure is now accountable to God for their sin in accordance with that measure. So. Baby, children that were born in the, died in the womb, they had no opportunity to respond. Even as they get a little older, there's a different age for all of us. There is an age of accountability, but don't try to set a number. It's different for everybody. But there comes a point where God opens your eyes to the truth and you are now accountable. What is the only sin, according to Jesus, that is not covered by the death of Jesus Christ? The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. In other words, when the Spirit of God opens your eyes to your guilt, right versus wrong. When you, in a sense, eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil and your eyes are open to right and wrong, good and evil. You are now going to be held accountable to that. And the Bible teaches that for innocence, for young ones, and it's different for all of us. Our kids came to an understanding of their, their lostness at an early age. I remember the first time that we were, Becky and I were sitting uh, in our living room when Nicole was, I think, six. She came out one night past her bedtime in tears. And we're like, what's the matter? Becky and I were sitting on the couch watching TV and it was, I don't know what time, nine, ten at night. Nicole was already long in bed. She comes out crying. What's the matter, honey? You have a nightmare? No. I don't want to go to hell. And I remember asking her, where did this come from? It's not like we tucked her into bed every night and said, you might be going to hell. No, but at a young age, God opened her eyes and she knew. Becky could tell you her story, how it, I think around six as well. She went to a friend's house and was wanting to leave with one of her friend's toys. Her mother saw her trying to sneak it out of the house. You remember those little, for you kids now, you don't know what fun toys are. It was the old push-up toy where you push the bottom and the Donald Duck or whatever would do a trapeze artist, you know, it'd flip around and stuff. It was one of those. Yeah, you do one of those and it would dance. Well, Becky's mom saw her trying to sneak it out of the house and said, Becky, that's not yours. Put it back. Well, Becky snuck it out of the house. And as they're driving away, Becky's mom looks in the rearview mirror and she sees a little girl in the back going brr, 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 playing with this toy that she took out of the house. Of course, Becky's mom turned around and had her go and acknowledge her sin and ask for forgiveness. And it was just a few weeks later here at First Baptist in the Atlantic, they had a vacation Bible school and the people teaching were showing that when we sin and one of the sins is stealing, it makes us guilty before God. And her eyes were open to the fact that she was a sinner. It's different for all of us. It's at different ages. But there comes a point. But before that point, God's gift of righteousness will be tied to how much you've had revealed to you. And I can show it to you in something Jesus said to the Pharisees. Go to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, look at verses 39 through 41. John chapter 9, verses 39 through 41. They answered him. Sorry, if I read chapter 9, that would be better. Chapter 9, verses 39 through 41. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world. That those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Isn't that interesting? Let's, let's chew on this for a minute. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who don't see may see, and those who see may become blind. 
Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and they said, are we also blind? Are you talking about us? He said, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. In other words, it's tied to how much you have had revealed and how much you understand. And because you Pharisees walk around pointing out right and wrong, good and evil, and you yourselves are the judges over what is right and what is wrong, you're walking around saying, we see, we know right, we know wrong, you're guilty. You do know right, you do know wrong, and you're not responding to it appropriately, you're guilty. If you were oblivious, you didn't see, you wouldn't be guilty of sin. Again, some of you may not know this. I've got, don't know if they're brothers or sisters, but there's three between my older sister and me. My mom had five kids. Actually, she had eight. She lost three between my older sister and me. I still can't even fathom all that she went through when she would have to keep it in a paper towel and wait until my dad got home from work and show him what happened. Becky's parents carried a baby almost to full term to the point that they actually had to have a casket and a funeral. I got brothers and sisters, I don't know, that I'm going to meet one day because they were conceived and they were given life. And God, who is rich in mercy, even though Adam's sin was passed on to them, is not going to hold it against them because they had no opportunity. But there comes a point where all of us, if we don't die before then, come to that point of opportunity. I'm going to point out to you something as we close today in John 9 that you might not have ever noticed. You see, the story of John 9 starts actually with Jesus healing a man who was born physically blind. And the disciples, and he'd been that way for 30-some years. The disciples say, well, okay, the Pharisees are teaching us that if you're sick or blind or anything like that, it's because you sinned. Well, this guy was born blind. So who sinned? Did he sin in the womb? Or did his parents sin so that he would be born blind? And he says it has nothing to do with this man's sin. He was actually born blind so that God would receive glory. As you know, Jesus heals him of his blindness, sends him on his way. Oh, he goes and people start saying, aren't you the guy? And he starts telling people about Jesus. He doesn't know who he is at this point. I think he's a prophet. He gets kicked out of the synagogue. The Pharisees and the religious leaders call his parents and say, okay, is this the guy? He looks totally different now that he's been healed of his blindness. Is this your son that was born blind? And they go, yeah, he's our son. But how this happened, we, we don't know. They didn't want to say because they thought they'd be kicked out of the synagogue. So Jesus has already opened his eyes, but he finds him later on. Look at John chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Oh, he had had his eyes opened. But he still had to make a decision for himself to trust Jesus. And to worship him as God. See, we can sit here and talk about babies in the womb or infants that die really young. Let me ask you, what about you? Those that are tuned in right now, either live or watching this later on like many do. Have you come to that point where you know the truth? The Bible says there's no such thing as an atheist. We all know God exists. We've already dealt with this in the beginning of Romans. We're all without excuse. His divine nature's eternal qualities have been clearly seen through what has been made through creation. He's revealed that he's there and you know there's a higher power. You don't want to acknowledge that it's God and that he gets to determine who he is and not you. Well, the Bible goes on in chapter two and says that even if you never heard God's written word, he wrote his law on it, on our hearts, our conscience and so consciences show us whether we're guilty or not guilty. Folks, let me just say this to you. 
We can sit here and talk about what about the babies when Jesus says, but what about you? You're no baby. You've had your eyes open. Have you put your faith in him? If the answer is yes, I hope you'll stick around because there's much more for those of us who have said yes. Because we're going to start moving into next week, the very, very end of chapter 5, where it talks about how we've been moved into this life. And we're going to start getting into chapter 6, 7, and 8, where we start learning how to live out the power of this life. Remember, you have passed from death to life. You have, right now, eternal life. You are already seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Does your life look like it? Or do you look like everybody else around here when you're not like those who don't know him? There is a distinction between us and them. We're going to keep it biblical. We're not going to move it into a realm where we're so powerful and we're so full of the life of God that we all of a sudden become God and we get to tell God how we're supposed to live our lives. No, we're going to still let God be God. But hopefully we're going to start moving into an area where we actually live out this peace and joy patience and gentleness and kindness and self-control that is already ours for too often many of us have heard sermons on the fruit of the spirit in galatians 5 22 and following and we've thought i need to be more and we fill in the fruit we're going to blow that all up if you walk out of here and try to be anything more in your own strength you'll never do it because apart from him you can do nothing but everything that is his is yours but you have to learn how to let him live it through you we can talk about how we pass from death to life. That's great. Don't stop there. Let's live in the power of his life. As we close, go to Romans 5 one more time. Look at Romans chapter 5. We'll start in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For many die, if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that one man, Jesus Christ, by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more, don't miss this next part, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in what? In life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. Adam's sin passed on to all of us and because of that was condemnation, judgment, wrath, death. Oh, but for all who receive the free gift of righteousness through the one man, Jesus, we can reign in life. And I want more of that i have it i want it to be seen in my life and i'd love it for you as well because part of what we're going to see as we move into the next few chapters is that when paul prayed in ephesians 3 that we'd understand the height the width the depth the breadth of the love of god you go back and read it he didn't pray that you individually would understand the height the width the depth the breadth of the love of god he prayed that together with all the saints Actually, one of the ways that we actually experience this life is in community with other believers, encouraging one another, growing together. This life that is ours will not make you a renegade for Jesus. It'll actually get you plugged in with more people who know him and you'll encourage each other. And together we'll start to experience this life. The early church in Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47, devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayers. They shared everything in common. They met together regularly. They worshiped God regularly. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They just focused on growing in Jesus and loving each other. And the life of Christ in them took over. We'll get there next week, Lord willing. Hope to see you then. I love you. Thanks for coming.